I was once visited by um, the angel of death. Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. I am Mal Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favourite, above average, but infinitely curious podcast, Dined Out. And I don't know if we've ever been more curious than we are for this week and next week's episode. Uh, Yeah, I kind of teased that something um, special, something unique, something very different was happening this week, and it is. This week on Season 4, Episode 14, we're going to be talking in the first of a two-part conversation with Tim Doyle. Um, Tim is quite easily the most unique conversation, the most unique guest I've had on this show in the two-year history for a number of reasons. And I really don't want to kind of dwell... Uh, on it too much because I kind of want to get into the actual conversation itself for you guys to hear it. Um, Beforehand though I will say if you haven't listened to last week's episode with uh, the wonderful Roxana from Honest Rocks uh, do go check that out. It was a fun conversation where we touched upon some really interesting and cool stuff that she's doing in her work as an introvert strategist. Uh, As for Tim, um, boy where do we start? Um, A quick intro to who Tim is, because Tim is going to give you his own introduction, but I will warn you now, when I say quick, it's not quick. It is the longest introduction we've had in Dined Out history. Like I ask everybody to do, I ask Tim to give me a quick intro, with the idea being that he gives me enough of a soundbite that I can kind of just insert before we get into the main conversation. But um, Tim's idea of a quick intro is a 25-minute or thereabouts uninterrupted journey into ayahuasca, astral projection, out-of-body experiences, and so on. The reason it's 25 minutes uninterrupted, pretty much, is because he was listening without headphones, and I could hear myself bleed through his speakers. And I had to wait until an appropriate moment, an appropriate gap of silence to kind of get myself in there and contribute. And even then, you will occasionally hear me bleed through Tim's speakers during the conversation. I'm trying to snip it out as best I can, but unfortunately I can't do much about the bits that have kind of got through the the sort of cracks in the conversation because I wasn't able to break the conversation into two separate vocal stems. It's all on the one single file. I should also say while I'm covering my back here that The audio from my end is pretty shit. And the reason for that is because this conversation with Tim happened in my mum's flat. And it was on a a dining room table. Uh, (laughs) Late at night. Uh, I think it was like 9 o'clock, maybe 10 o'clock at night in January uh, that I was talking to Tim. And he is based in China, I believe. So it was very early morning for him. So adding uh, an extra element and dimension of of strangeness to the whole proceedings 
So, yeah, and it was also done through my internal mic because I didn't have any recording equipment with me at the time. I wasn't expecting to talk to Tim then, but we had to sort of shuffle things around and and it is what it is. So a quick intro to Tim before Tim takes you on his his 20-minute odyssey. Uh, Tim Doyle is a ordained metaphysical minister, a, a Reiki master, a conduit for a group of celestial beings called the Golden Ones and their teachings... And he's also a very personable raconteur. As I said, he talked un- unaided, just for 20 minutes plus. Um, the man can talk, and he is very personable and very charming. Like, I genuinely enjoyed talking to Tim, but I also enjoyed listening to Tim, even though I really don't believe in the vast majority of stuff he's talking about here. There are things, obviously, like when he says he's gone to Peru, I, I believe that when he's met this person, as in like an actual human being, I believe that when he's had a relationship with a person, an actual human being, I believe that. It's it's the metaphysical stuff, the spiritual stuff, that's what I have a problem believing. But despite not believing it, and I think that you will hopefully be in the same category here, regardless of how much you believe, if you in fact believe you will find that he is a very interesting person to listen to, who can spin a yarn, who can engage you, and who, no matter what, again, whatever you believe here, has no doubt led an incredibly interesting life. But um, without further ado, because, yeah, let's just get into it. This is me talking in the first of a two-part conversation with Tim Doyle. the lifting of the restrictions of the corona uh, requirements um i actually that, uh, I, I haven't seen oh in terms of over here um did that take effect today well i thought it took effect immediately when uh your prime minister announced it the other day um i am not sure i was on a train on monday and they did make some announcement about face coverings no longer being necessary come thursday so I'm not sure. Um, I honestly haven't been keeping up with the news in the last week or two, um, just out of general <laughs> ignorance and just self-preservation. So I'm not entirely sure. I can't answer that one for you, Tim, I'm afraid. Well, that's OK. You can't trust the news anyway. So uh... regardless of what happens, I'm still taking the, the same personal precautions I've been taking throughout the whole thing. So whatever changes doesn't necessarily change for me because I'll still be kind of keeping up with what I've been doing. Well, you know, um, I don't know how your health is. There's a um, there's a mixture in your body. Um, if you, your body, you get a pH ratio in your body of about 7.2, 7.3 of acid to um, alkalinity. And if your body's in an uh, acidic environment, you get a disease, you get colds, cancer, uh, coronaviruses, flus, anything. But as long as you keep your alkalinity up, mm-hmm. no disease will be in the body. Okay. And there's a mixture. There's a mixture of baking soda, a teaspoon of baking soda, and a half squeezed lemon juice, and ten ounces of water, and that will raise your alkalinity like immediately. Mm. So if you ever feel like um, 
you know, something's coming on, Mel. Mix it up, and I'm telling you, that's all I do. Um, uh, for the past two, two and a half, three years, it's all I use is this. If I feel like um, my energy's down, the uh, lemon juice and baking soda. It's amazing so, what you can do with baking soda, actually. Like a very diverse ingredient. Well, not only that, but I understand that in the uh, 1900s, early 1900s, when they had the uh, Spanish flu and everyone was dying, they reverted to baking soda. Hmm. They used baking soda to, uh, I don't know what they did with it, how they drank drink it or mixed it, or if they mixed it with anything. But they said that was the what uh, assisted them in overcoming the uh, Spanish flu back in the early 1900s. Now, uh, what's being recommended by my teachers is uh, um, the lemon juice and baking soda. Oh, okay. And that has cured my, my wife's father. They released him from the hospital. They had to carry him to a gurney into the ambulance. Um, he had lung cancer and a brain tumor. And they just said, we can't help you. They sent him home to die. We treated him with uh, lemon juice and baking soda. In a month, he was back up on his feet, recovered, and so forth. And that was like, we did that a year and a half ago. Wow. And he is strong as ever now. So just keep that in mind if you're not feeling well, Mel. I will. I will. It's also very good, totally random, if ever you have a blocked toilet and uh, plunge is not working. <laughs> a bit of that with some vinegar and the... the, the, the... Listen, I do that in my sink too. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a little handy tip I that I like to pass on whenever I can. Because <laughs> it's always good uh, to have in the back of your head, just in case. <laughs> yeah, that baking soda is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> All right. If you've no questions, Tim, let's, let's get into it. Because there's a lot here... Uh, I'm completely new to all of this, and there is a lot here to get into, which I don't think we're going to cover most things. Um, that would be a big ask, but um, we're going to kind of dive into some stuff and kind of dig into it a little bit. I guess the first thing that I would ask of you, Tim, is to kind of just give a little brief introduction as to who you are to listeners. I'm Tim Doyle. Um, geez, I'm just an ordinary person. Um, I was approached by spirit during meditation many years ago, uh, in a, a visual contact with a golden light being. They have started, uh, communicating with me several years later, uh, channeling their information to me. They are the co-creator gods of this training, uh, spiritual training school. Earth is a spiritual training school. Everyone comes here. Is here to train to become co-creator gods. Let's see. Everything, yeah, everything they've taught me since, uh, back since 1970-something uh, is all based on their teachings. And their teachings are to assist uh, each person here to um, grasp for power, to come into the realization of who they are and to use their power to assist them in their spiritual ascension. So my work is basically just to get their teachings out, uh, Mel. Um, I was in the corporate world for 35 years, um, which <laughs> was good because it provided me an income. 
And then when I had free time or time off, I would travel around the world wherever they wanted me to go. Uh, I, I didn't know it, it was their directions, but I, I just traveled on my uh, free time to Peru, Canada, Mexico, and so forth, um, just learning spiritual things, teachings. Um, I'm an ordained metaphysical minister, a Reiki master, a certified Kundalini yoga instructor, um, drank the ayahuasca in Peru. Um, I made five trips to Peru once a year for about uh, two weeks. Um, I've had out of body one out of body experience while in Peru. I'm sorry, I had an astral travel experience while in Peru. And uh, when I what got me going was I had an out of body experience when I first started to meditate um, back in oh, let's say 1972. And while meditating, I raised the kundalini energy um, from my root chakra. And at that time, Mel, I didn't even know what a, a chakra was or anything. I was just, my teachers have always told me, don't foul anybody else. If you foul anybody else, you're only going to go as far as they go. So <laughs> don't foul anybody else. So if, if I do anything, I just do it on my own. I, I teach myself to meditate. Uh, I did uh, yoga um, before I went and, and certified because I I had to get certified uh, to be recognized as a yoga instructor. So while I was doing yoga and so forth, I, I did go to California, uh, Hawaii and get certified to become a, uh, a, a Kundalini yoga instructor. And why I picked Kundalini is because I raised the Kundalini well during meditation so I felt it was probably, um, uh, a, you know, it was appropriate to be a Kundalini yoga instructor. So basically what I'm doing now, um, I was, I had a visitation and meditation uh, in 19, I want to say about 83. And it was like, I'm watching you right now. Mm. I mean, my mind's eye just opened up. It was the, uh, in the afternoon, I came home and I meditated, lit my candle, and I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, my mind's eye opened up, and this beautiful golden light being was right here in front of me, and I could see him as clear as I, I'm looking at you, Mel, and he, he, beautiful, from head to toe, golden, radiating light being, and he took a necklace from around his neck and floated <laughs> I won't say it floated across the room because it's in my mind uh, and it floated from him to me. And he put it, the necklace on my neck. And as soon as he put it on my neck, there was a tingling sensation in my body. So that was back in 1983. And then uh, I continued. I'd be, after that, I was doing my metaphysical uh, or ordination for my metaphysical minister, did the Reiki stuff, did the Kundalini, uh, did the ayahuasca. And then I had my out-of-body experience. And then I'm in uh, New Zealand in October of 2012, right before the end of the Mayan calendar, uh, which was 21 December 2012. And I'm in meditation in a, in a group of spiritual beings who I, I, I knew they were there. I didn't see them, but I, it's... They were there in my mind's eye, but I didn't see them like I'm looking at you now. I just have this vision of them. 
it's like you're you know something and you see him but you can't actually see him so they joined my group and uh i said who are you they said we come to uh join your group i said well welcome thank you and so forth i didn't know who they were and then uh, in february of 2013 a few months later i was up uh, alone in upstate new york and i'd get up every morning at 3 30 to do my yoga you do kundalini yoga before the sunrise so I'm always up at 3.30 in the morning doing my yoga. And when I do my yoga, that's when I meditate. And when I meditate, I talk to my teachers. So I'm talking to them, and they're telling me certain things. And I'm having this – anybody else would think I was crazy if they were in the room with me because I'm having this conversation with my teachers. And I talk out loud, uh, and they'll tell me something, and I'll laugh or respond to them. Um, and so they told me some things. And then a, a couple of days later, uh, they got me up at 2.30 in the morning. And they said, go to your computer. So I went to the computer. And they says, whatever you hear, just type. So whatever came in my mind, I just started typing, 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 typing. When I got done, I read it. And it was, a, it was the, the first channeling to me. And I got to the end, and I couldn't claim. And I says. I couldn't sign my name to this. I says, how should I sign this? They said, sign it, the golden ones. So I said, okay. Well, at this time, I just didn't know who they were. It was just a group of spirits. They said their names were the golden ones. And then eventually through their, I, they, they would get me up every morning at 2.30. I'd go to the computer. I'd, I'd type up whatever they told me to type up. And then I would do my yoga and I would talk to them. Whatever they told me, whatever I wrote in those channelings, I would have to experience during that day to know that it was the truth. So they were tell me, telling me things, and then during my day, I would experience, and they would say, see, this is what we're telling you, and it, uh, this is how I validated what they were telling me. And that's, uh, this is how I got confidence in what they were saying to me, and... Uh, and uh, that's just how the relationship grew. And so thinking back on it, when I was 12 years old, I was in bed and, and uh, I was having, I had thoughts of maybe someone's under my bed or someone's in the closet. There was a boogeyman there or something like this. <laughs> 12 years old. Yeah, I was 12 years old. And they, they told me, just change my thoughts and think of something good. Now, I didn't know it was them at the time. I just thought, well, maybe this is my own thoughts. But even at, back then, I would then think, oh, okay, I'll think about something good, an amusement park. And so they were teaching me then that when you change your thoughts, and um, the conscious mind can only hold one thought at a time. You can't be thinking about a boogeyman under your bed and having a good time at an amusement park. So this was the start of them teaching me about the conscious mind, subconscious mind, universal mind, and so forth. So as they started channeling um, their information, they were telling me that what life is a spiritual training school. Every soul that comes here is the elite of their solar system. You can't just say, oh, I want to go train to become a, you know, a co-creator God. You have to be recommended by your, the spiritual counsel of your, of your star nation. 
of your solar system, and it goes up to the Galactic Council, and the Galactic Council decides whether you are trained enough or evolved enough to, to come to Earth. And how I got how I got this is before I went to Peru, um, I was back in 2000. My first trip was in 2000. I was um, contemplating. Um, I was working on two things, Tantra. I was working on Tantra, uh, how Tantra works and the benefits of Tantra, and was Earth a prison? <laughs> I didn't know if Earth was a prison and we were being punished by coming here and so forth. So I got drinking, my first drink, and uh, my teachers, I came home from work one day, and my teachers told me to uh, take a trip. I know it was September, and I came home from work, and I says, well, where should I go? This is, oh, go visit a shaman. So I got on the internet, and I said, shaman, shaman, shaman. Okay. I said, oh, they got shamans in Peru. So in about two minutes, well, actually, it took a little bit longer, maybe about five or ten minutes, I signed up to go to December because it was my holiday time from work as a government worker, and I knew I had time off. Uh, and I scheduled a trip to go to Peru. To, to work with the shamans. I didn't know what they did. So I filled out the paperwork, paid my funds, and I was going to Peru. So um, on my way to Peru, and uh, we get in the boat, and I, I meet the shaman there. It was a gentleman from Tennessee, uh, Howard, and uh, he moved to Peru to, be, to become a shaman. And we get in this boat. Uh, we, we flew into Lima, and then we went to, uh, oh, I forget of the other set. I want to say Ikea, but it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't Ikea. It, it was something like uh, Ikea. Uh, that would be, a, that would be a very strange diversion in, in the story if you ended up in Ikea, Tim, <laughs> following the one-way system through a bunch of flat-pack furniture. Yeah. No, I believe it's called, and I don't want to mispronounce it, Equitos. Equitos. <laughs> we flew into Equitos, and then from Equitos, we got in this boat, and the shaman would only take 16 people. I didn't know this at the time, so we all get in this boat. We go down the Amazon River, and then we go upstream. Uh, it was probably maybe about a 45-minute hour trip, and we're in the middle of the jungle, I mean to tell you, and we come across his community site, no hot water, uh, no electricity. Uh, there was bamboo huts, um, and it was uh, it was very very in a remote area. And uh, we get off the boat, and someone says, "Howard, when are we going to drink?" I go, "Drink? <laughs> what do you mean drink? What do you mean when are we going to drink?" They go, "Drink the ayahuasca." I couldn't even pronounce the word Mel ayahuasca. I go, I, I, I what? They says, yeah. They says, don't you know you, you that we're going to drink the ayahuasca? <laughs> at the time, I'm sure my teachers were laughing at me because I didn't know I was going to drink any ayahuasca or what it was or anything like that. And so uh, I, I started chuckling, thinking, oh, okay, guys, thank you. This is what they do. They just tell me to do something, and I do it. Um, so it was uh, in my first drinking of the ayahuasca, you go through the ceremony. And at the end of the ceremony, uh, 
you go through this process. The first half of the ceremony is drinking the ayahuasca, which is this most terrible, oily tasting drink you could ever want to taste. And you can't sip it. You just have to, you just have to down it and don't let it touch your taste buds. <laughs> and so after 20 minutes after you down it, um, you start your body, it starts affecting your body. And um, my first time drinking, people around me were crying, some were saying, yelling things and so forth and such and such. And uh, the lady next to me was crying and the guy next to me was moaning and nothing was happening to me. Um, but after, um, once we went through it and, we, and it started to affect, actually I had to take a second drink in. Um, Howard said, there was a few people who said, Howard, this, this is not affecting me. And Howard said, well, anybody that wants a second drinking can have a second drinking. So I thought, I was happy not to drink it, but I thought I didn't come all this distance not to have an effect. So I says, okay, I'll have a second drinking. So I had a second drinking. And uh, when I had the second drinking, I sweated. I must have sweated five pounds off my body. I was drenching wet. And then the journey started. And you just, you're sitting in, in this chair that they make up, it's a rocking chair, and you just spiral out in your, in your mind. It's not like an outer body, but your mind just goes someplace. So after you, after you have your experience of going through what you're supposed to do, the uh, the goddess ayahuasca rewards you with uh, visions. Like, what were you thinking about before you came here? So what she what happened to me is, and and the visions that you get now are like watching television. I mean, the best. Oh my, like crystal clear. And they showed me sitting in a a throne. It's like the universe is in front of me. And I'm sitting there, I've got a, a staff in my left hand, and I've got a rod in my right hand. Uh, I'm dressed like a king. I have this crown on. I'm in all these beautiful royal robes. I know I'm sitting in a throne, and I'm sitting there, and I see the universe in front of me, nothing but stars. And then the, the hand of God, I call it, comes across the vision and it points to a little, a little star down in, in the right-hand corner of my vision, and it says choice. So it was telling me that coming to Earth was a choice. So I, I says, okay. So I thought, okay, they cleared up that mind. And then they showed me um, a vision about a man and woman, and it, it talked, showed me about Tantra, which we don't have to discuss at this time. So that that proved to me that. Um, we come here as the elite of our solar systems. We have achieved that level of spiritual development where we come here uh, to serve God out of love. Everybody's here to serve God out of love. That's why we're here. Um, but when you come here, what happens is before you come to Earth, you don't have a conscious mind or a subconscious mind, you're guided by the heart of God, all right? And so it's like, um, it's like animal instincts, where the polar bears know what to eat, the bears hibernate for the winter, uh, and so forth. The birds fly south for the uh, winter and so forth. 
and you know the bees gather the honey and so forth. So it's like then you're part of creation, uh, and then when you come to Earth, you receive a conscious mind, a subconscious mind, and um, you you are connected. You're always connected to the heart of God, but now the soul has to connect to the mind of God. And through the conscious mind, we're here to learn how to connect to the mind of God. Uh, the mind of God is always connected with the soul, but the soul has not disciplined themselves to listen to the communications from the mind of God. Um, and that's something I guess I've been doing since I was little, but not knowing that what it was. I just... Whatever I heard, I just believed it. I followed the advice, and it was always was true. So that's the purpose here is disciplining your thinking and uh, connecting with the mind of God. But before you get there, you have to understand why you're here. And most people don't realize they're here because uh, that's their purpose. It's not to become a truck driver or, or uh, uh, a singer or a dancer or a president. Um, they told me a long, a long time ago that it's not what role you play, it's how you play your role. So you could be the president of the United States, but if you're, if you're crooked and, <laughs> and devious, you know, there's no quality in, in the role you're playing. So it's important to be, have that, the quality in whatever you do in life, do it from, for the good of creation, for the good of, for the love of God. You, you have to take on the God consciousness to say, what would God do in this moment? And that's your guidance. That's your, that's your benchmark. What are you doing? What would God do? And then you just get into that habit. You treat everybody, everybody here in, in this earth as your, as your fellow classmate, basically. And you, you learn to, you, you migrate, I should migrate. You go from genders, different genders, different cultures, different um, religion aspects, and you're learning wisdom. And that's the whole purpose of life here is to learn wisdom, because wisdom is stored into your light body. And to become a co-creator God, you have to experience, you have to develop all the wisdom of life, and it's stored into your light body. and that's what basically we're doing with our conscious mind and subconscious mind and universal mind. Um, let me just make a point that everything in your life is orchestrated by universal mind. Universal mind is connected to each soul, and it knows your past experiences. It knows what you have learned. It knows what karma you have created. And it will base your life experiences uh, each day, each moment, based uh, at, at like a training plan. And it will develop this training plan as you go. Of course, you know, as you do well, good things happen to you. If you do negative things, you create karma. It's like you've, you have to learn to live in harmony, balance, order, and unity with the laws of nature and the principles of, of life, and for the good of all, not just for the good of yourself, for the good of all. 
So when you when you talk um, about orchestrated tin, are you talking about a sense of predetermination, as in things that are already being set in motion by these higher beings for you? So it's basically a path has been laid out for you to follow. That's been is that what you mean by orchestrated? Because to me, that's that's something that I'm interested in. I think that is a very interesting area to dive into the idea of predetermination and like the idea that that maybe strips away a person's autonomy somewhat. Well, no, not exactly. If you think about it, if you go to a, if you go to a boot camp, I was in the Marine Corps when I was eighteen. I joined when I was 17, and when I was 18, I got I joined the Marines and went to boot camp. They have a plan for you, how to develop you into a uh, a fit person. Mm. And so the plan is to develop you into a fit person. How you go about that, um, they'll run you, and you'll do your push-ups and sit-ups, and you'll eat and so forth. But it's 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 just a plan. The the plan we have, each person has a plan, and their plan changes, can change in any moment. You have free will. And why we have free will is we have to make that decision whether we want to experience something or not, whether it's good for us or not good for us. So if we do something that's not good for us, we, <clears throat> we learn by trial and error. Oh, this works for us. This doesn't work for us. Do we can um, do we continue doing what doesn't work for us? Some of us do. Some of us, once we know that it's not good for us, and we continue to do it, then it will have an effect, maybe mentally, physically, emotionally, on our development, our spiritual development. But in every moment, whatever whoever you meet, whoever you talk to. What happens to you is developed by universal mind so that you, if you're aware of it, of your of what's going on in your life, you can basically say, oh, I know why I'm meeting this person and that person, and I know why I'm experiencing this. And uh, it's, just, it's just to get the soul to become more conscious of who they are and taking responsibility for their actions taking responsibility for their actions and being uh, cognizant enough to know what's good for them and not good for them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not predetermined to a certain dis- extent. It is predetermined because we choose, um, astrologically, we choose when we come to Earth. And then when we choose when we come to Earth, I, I got into astrology when my boys, I have four boys, when they were young, and I wanted to know more about each of them. And so I, I would do astrology charts on them to know that they were all fire signs. They were all different. They were all unique. And I couldn't treat them all the same. But yet again, they were in my house and they would do what I wanted them to do. <laughs> I had a training plan for them. Um, but they had a free will whether they wanted to do it or not. So it's sort of like... Uh, yeah, we have free will, mm-hmm. but we choose. We choose when we come here, how how what we want to experience. That's an interesting. That's an interesting concept. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? When you say we choose, I, I've never in in various different things that I've looked at, I've never come across the idea or, or the concept that we choose when 
to come to earth or to be born or what have you? Well, let's 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 take it from the time. Let's say we just died. All right. We died and we're in between carnations and um, we go in front of a let's say like our, our school teachers, the master teachers, and they explain to us what happened during our lifetime, where we made, uh, we could have done a little bit better or what we need to work on. I'm sure they didn't say anything negative. They might have said, you might, let's work on improving this relationship. Let's prove on how you treat your parents. Let's work on doing this. And uh, what nationality do you want to, um, what gender do you want to migrate into? Do you want to be a male or female this time? Um, what do you want to work on? Do you want to work on your mental abilities? Do you want to work on your physical abilities? So in between lives, the soul decides um, what he wants to do um, and what he, it's agreed upon. Sometimes the soul takes on too much and they say, no, I, wa I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do, I want to do it all this time. And it's overwhelming for the soul, but the teachers will agree if you want to do this, okay, will allow it. And then what the teachers do is they pick the time and the place that you will incarnate, which is the best development astrologically that will be in alignment with the constellations and the planets for your birth, for you to accomplish what it is that the soul wants to accomplish. So that is how that is created. Uh, the time and the place. And what you do is you pick your parents. You pick, um, let's say you have a good relationship with uh, a man in the previous life, and, and that man is now going to be a woman this life. Uh, you pick that person as your mother because you were compatible with him in a previous life. And you're pretty sure you're going to be compatible with her in the next life whether you're a male or female. Maybe you're coming in as a female this time. You both are going to be females. So it's pre-aligned like that to make it easy for you to come in. But it depends on what the soul wants to do. And sometimes the soul wants to do too much. Now, when a soul first comes, when you first come here, Mel, um, you don't know anything. Let's talk about the first time you come here. Because I was, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you that, Tim. Do you retain any information, like from from your perspective, from what you believe? Do you retain any information from a previous life, or are you just like factory resets and and just blank slating it? When you first come here, your factory reset. You know nothing. Right. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you achieve, what you accomplish. You know nothing because basically. Your subconscious mind is blank because you haven't learned any wisdom yet. So you're very, you come here and it's like uh, you have a conscious mind. So now you have to create. Well, first of all, you're insecure. You probably are insecure. You have nothing. You don't have a belief system. You have nothing. And all you have to do is you know you have to survive. So what do you, how do you survive? You have these physical needs, you have these central needs, you have these mental needs. So you do whatever you do to survive, which may be stealing, being abusive to others, being um, one power, uh, want to take advantage of others. You may lie, 
You may do almost anything to survive, right? They call this, there's basically three stages of soul development here. The first stage is the egotistical stage where the soul is just concerned about me, 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 me. What's good for me? Uh, at, at the expense of others. Don't care. It doesn't know anything about uh, values or anything like that. It hasn't learned it yet. Um, and eventually, it learns through karma um, what's good and what's not good. And then the soul starts to temper uh, the me, me, me aspect. And after a while, they move into the spiritual man where all right, he's got values. He's concerned about Starts, he's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about family and friends and loved ones and work and being responsible. And uh, he's looking for some sort of security in who he is. And once you go through that stage and you're secure with, with what you are and what you did and what you've accomplished and you become confident in self, then you move into the co-creator God stage. There's a lot of people in that co-creator God stage but they don't know they're in that stage. They'll do the right thing. They'll, um, they may not be spiritual because they don't know anything about religion. They just know that you'll do the right thing. Why do you do it? It may be culture. It may be your training from your parents. It may be a variety of things, but you're into that stage and you just want to do the right thing for the right reasons. The okay. co-creative stage. So that's a, that's a phrase you mentioned earlier, and it's one that's definitely piqued my interest. Um, what would you define a co-creator God as? Because that's a term I've never come across either before, and it's as I say, it's one of, of great curiosity to me. What is a co-creator God? Well, co-creator God, um, if you embrace, let's say, for example, I said, okay, Mel, you're a co- you're training to become a co-creator God. For the first time in your life, you're thinking, what? what? What do you mean? In the universe, there's hundreds of billions of galaxies. And in each galaxy, there's hundreds and billions of stars. And in each, each star has planets around them. So there's probably hundreds of trillions of, of solar systems in the universe. And God can't do this by himself. So what he does... It's, he has the elite souls training to become co-creator gods. So eventually they go out and they take over a solar system where they are the guiding God force that guides the solar system. So once, once you come to the realization that you're a co-creator God, there's, there's I won't say power, but there's there's energies that you can use to assist you in your soul development. For an example, that most people don't know of angels or archangels and may not even believe them, but they're available to work with us. Even the teachers, the spiritual teachers, they, I won't say they have to, but they will work with you. No, they have to. They have to work with you in accordance to um, the training plan. You're here. You have more power than you know. I was once visited by um, the angel of death uh, in a meditation. 
It's pretty intense, and, Tim. Well, it was for me because uh, when I first learned to meditate, I was always told to protect myself. So on my website, there's a prayer protection. And I always say the prayer protection before I sit down and do my meditation. That's just to keep all energies, uh, negative energies away and all positive divine energies working with me. So as soon as I got through saying the prayer of protection, in my mind's eye, very clearly, like I saw the golden light beam, there was a skeleton with rags hanging from it. It was like a bone, really a skeleton with rags on it. And when I first saw it, it startled me for a second. I said, and then I realized, I said, wait a minute, I said the prayer of protection, so this must be a divine force. And I said, who are you? And he says, I am the angel of death. And then he went on to explain to me why he was here and visiting me. So I learned that they are here to support us in our development. And if you realize who you are, you can call on these beings, these spiritual teachers, uh, to work with you. Even when you have a situation or an obstacle in your life, if you work with the energies, they will work to remove these obstacles from your life uh, and situations. I've got to take it back yeah. a second here, Tim, before we go any further. You were saying you were visited by the angel of death and you found out why they were visiting you. Why were they visiting you? Well, at the time I was dating this lady and I wasn't really committed to her. Okay. I liked her. Uh, I had to travel a long distance to see her and so forth. And so the angel of death told me that he was coming for her. And so when the night, um, I, in America, there was, there was some special event at like pay-per-view. Maybe it was WrestleMania or something like that, where I stayed up to 1130 watching this event. So I'm coming up the steps to go to bed, I was living by myself, and I do meditation classes in my, on Thursday night in my, uh, in my home. So my room, my living room was always set up for meditation classes, 12 chairs in a circle. So I'm walking up the steps and they says, oh, why don't you meditate tonight? I says, oh, okay, I'll, I'll sit down and meditate. We'll see what's going on. Normally I don't do this, not at 12 o'clock at night. And so I sat down in meditation, did the prayer protection. And when I sat down, I saw all my loved ones in the room with me sitting down too. And I welcomed them. I mean, I, I'm like ignorant. I don't know why they're there. <laughs> I don't know that this was a training session for me or anything like that. So I sit down and do the prayer protection. And so um, as soon as I do the prayer protection, the angel of death visited me and told me that he was here for this person. And I got emotional. I started crying. I says, I don't believe you. I don't believe, I says, prove it to me. I says, I do not believe you. And I want you to prove it to me or else I'm not going to believe it. And so I see the angel of death leave my living room and go into the kitchen. I hear a crash in the kitchen. And while He's in the kitchen. My teachers are saying, listen, they didn't say it like this. They were more loving. <laughs> if I was talking to you, Mel, I'd say, Mel, listen, 
they they weren't like that. They says it's good to know if something is going to happen. You can prepare yourself for it, and you can prepare the person for it. And so what I noticed happened, and I agreed with them. I agreed with them. And so the angel of death came back from the kitchen after the crash. He sat in the chair directly across from me at the end of the room. And um, we terminated the meditation set. So I went into the kitchen to find out what the crash was. On my refrigerator, I had an astrology calendar that, you know, January is Capricorn, March is Aquarius, uh, and so forth down the line. And so at this time, it was April, which was Aries. But on the floor, the calendar was on the floor. When I picked it up, it was Sagittarius. And that was the astrology sign of the lady that I was interested in. Okay. So that was proven to me that, that what he was saying was true. He knew who, I was, who, who she was and such and such and created the calendar to fall. And my calendar has never fallen off my, my refrigerator in like umpteen years. And then this one time it falls, crashes. And it's on the astrology sign of this lady. Could that not just be seen as a coincidence? So, do you really think it was a coincidence that I see the angel of death leave the living room, go into the kitchen, I hear a crash, he returns, and I go out there and find that the astrology calendar is to her astrology sign? Come on, Mel. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've got to ask. I've got to play devil's advocate a little bit here, Tim. Um, oh, you, you play... You play devil advocate. To me, it was it was okay. It was proven to me. Uh, what I found, though, Mel, is it changed me. It changed me on how I treated her, and maybe I wasn't treating her the way I should have been treating her. And I found that the way I treated her changed to be more loving, more accepting and so forth. Something you should do with everyone. Be more loving, more accepting, more tolerant, instead of being judgmental and making uh, decisions and so forth, all right? So it was an experience that changed me to become a better person. I would like to think so. All right, gang, so there you go. That was my very interesting and unique conversation with Tim Doyle talking about the Golden Ones, uh, amongst a bunch of other things, baking soda, um, <laughs> Peruvian jungles, a shaman named Howard, universal mind, light bodies, determinism, free will, karma, reincarnation, the three stages of soul development, co-creator gods, and then, of course, ending on that little cliffhanger there uh, about Tim's encounter with the Angel of Death. It is a cliffhanger, which will be, I promise, resolved next week. We will find out what exactly happened to the woman in question, the, the lady that Tim was romantically involved with, and, of course, the angel of death's um, nefarious plans for her. All will be revealed next week, I promise you. I'm not going to just leave you with that cliffhanger and no resolution. So <laughs> we'll get into that, and there is just there's, <laughs> there's a lot else to kind of cover, uh, including the God Frequency... Um, the removal of globs from your light body, uh, the Arturians, Tim's Ascension Master Program, in which you can remove emotional parasites, 
that is its own separate thing. Uh, the golden age in which the world shifted from third dimension consciousness to a fifth level or fifth dimension consciousness. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot still to come. So if I, I mean, at this point, I think you either know if you're coming back for next week or not. Hopefully there's been enough in here for you to, to kind of want to pursue this further. Uh, trust me, it does it does continue to be just as interesting and unique as it has been in part one. Um, yeah. But you'll find that out for yourself, of course, by checking out next week's episode. And the easiest way to make sure you don't miss next week's episode or anything else that we put out under the Dimed Out umbrella going on from this point forward is to simply subscribe if you haven't done so already. We're available wherever you get your podcasts from. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're basically got tentacles uh, all over the place. If you look in the show notes, you'll see one single link, and that single link will take you to everything related Dimed Out, whether that be the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, or the various other places on social media where you can get in touch about this episode or whatever else you want to talk about. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram personally, and I am Mal Foster. Yeah, all of that stuff compacted into one little link. And on that note, and I don't know if you'll be able to pick it up or not, but the cat is doing meows because there is a door closed and she feels, to kind of keep things in the metaphysical realm, I don't know what's happening here. Maybe the cat thinks that when a door is closed, uh, the human on the other end disappears into a different realm or dimension. I don't know, but she just doesn't like closed doors. So that's that's maybe what you can hear. Although I've said all of that and she's just stopped. So thanks, Kiki. Thanks. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Next week, Tim Doyle Part 2. But as for now, that's it. That's your lot. As always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves. Look after each other. And until next week, keep it dimed out.